Hello and welcome to the Middlesex County Cricket League podcast. My name's Dan Huff from Twickenham CC. Um, as usual, I'm joined by two esteemed colleagues this evening to, um, to chew the fat, to talk all things cricket. Um, Sal Ali from uh, North London. Sal, uh, how are you? You all okay? I'm fine, thanks, Dan. Yeah, very well. Good man, good man. And uh, very pleased to be, I guess, changing the angle a bit this week. We, we've generally talked to, to um, esteemed players who've, who've been um, in the Middlesex County League, but today we're going to speak to um, an esteemed umpire. So very pleased to welcome Matty Watton. Uh, evening, Matty. Hello, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. I'm good. Also good to have somebody from the best part of Britain on the pod. It's about time we had some more Midlanders involved. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and we'll get to that in a moment, because of course I, I want to find out a little bit about your, your, your background in cricket. But before I do that, Sal, um, what do we need to know about Matty? Can you introduce us to, um, to, to his biography? Sure. I mean, Matt, Matty's one of our most um, respected and senior umpires in the league. Um, not only does he um, take part in our in our league. He does other sort of uh, cup competitions. I know the nationals. Something's taken part in and umpired. He's done um, county cricket games as well, sort of, um, sort of age group level, uh, along with other sort of um, formats of cricket as well. He's on the he was actually the panel secretary for the league for six years or seven years, I think that was. And I'm sure he's still involved this season. Well, if we get season that is obviously. And he, as I said, he's one of the umpires that. If we look around the circuit, he's definitely respected by many, many players and officials, not only in our league, but also around the country, I would say. So it's a pleasure to have him on this week, and I'm sure we'll get some great insights into what he does. Super. So I should say as well, we're, we're recording this on Monday night, and, and news has filtered through today that French football's been cancelled, and, and all the mood music is looking like we, we might not get too much cricket at all. We're going to plough on. We've we got plenty to say. Uh, amongst us, Sal and myself. So we will be having podcasts through the season, regardless of whether there's a season or not. But all looking a bit downbeat in terms of whether we'll get, get any cricket played. But be that as it may, Matty, um, talk to us about how it all began. Now, I assume you didn't start life as an umpire. You probably started life playing somewhere, right? Where, where, did, you, where did you kick off? Well, I did. I mean, as you say, I grew up in uh, Birmingham and my... Um... Uh, my dad played a lot of cricket, and his dad uh, before him. So my dad played in the uh, uh, in the Birmingham League in the seventies, sort of right through to the uh, the nineties. And can I ask who he played for? The... Yeah, well, he played for a few clubs. So uh, West Bromwich Dartmouth in the nineteen seventies, oh. a well-known club, serious uh, club. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yes, uh, and then uh, in the nineteen eighties, uh, principally Aston Unity and Mosley. So oh, quite okay. strong clubs at the time when the. Uh, uh, the league, well, I think, was pretty unarguably probably the uh, the strongest in the in the country at that time, given the number of times that uh, uh, clubs from that area tended to win the um, uh, the national knockouts. But uh, I mean, from a very early age, I was taken along to uh, cricket matches and uh, Saturday. By the way, Matthew, I can guarantee you, we're going to get no end of feedback on that one observation about the Birmingham League being the strongest in the country at the time, regardless of whether it's right or wrong. <laughs> I can see the red flag waving there and, and, and certain people are going to get back to us on it, which is all good. It's one I like. So. They prob- well, that's, that's a fair point. I think the, um, yeah, there were a lot of sort of Birmingham League, Middlesex League battles, weren't there? So, uh, there were. Example, played, uh, oh gosh, Warsaw. Old, Old Hill as well, wasn't it? When they a strong club? Yeah, very strong at the time. Not anymore. No, times have very much changed in that area. So the old powerhouses aren't necessarily still uh, up there. But, um, but yeah, I was taken along to cricket from a very early age and um, so started off watching. And then uh, um, as soon as I was old enough, I started playing through sort of junior age groups. And um, I wasn't the greatest, but I was always key. So uh, I played regularly. Um, and yeah, I went to university and I moved down to uh, London in 1996. Uh, and um, by this time, I still... Uh, very much interested in playing. So I played for a club in the Thames Valley League for uh, about 10 years. Um, and um, so always the sort of person who used to play as much as possible and go on tour and uh, go to nets and so on. Um, so certainly wasn't thinking about umpiring much at that point. But um, sort of the latter days of uh, playing, I, I started to lose a bit of motivation playing. I suffered some injuries. I broke my thumb a couple of times. Uh, and I also had a slight problem with my knee, which meant I couldn't keep wickets as much as I wanted to. Um, and circumstances meant I didn't play as much as uh, as I wanted to. So 
uh, my standards sort of went down and I started to lose motivation. And I'd always been interested in umpiring. I'd always done a few youth games. or When I was injured, I umpired quite regularly. So I did the first level of my uh, course actually while I was still playing because I was still in, I was interested in it. Uh, and then the same when I did my second level. So at the end of one season, I just decided that I'd sort of had enough of playing. So I decided to have a season off and umpire instead. And um, I didn't miss it. So I've only played one game since. So you played sort of until you, your mid-20s, really? And you, and you kept wicket for the signs of things, right? Yeah, I suppose my last full season playing, I was, uh, no, I was older than that. I was 33. So in the following right. year, when I umpired regularly, it was actually my first season on the county league panel. Um, I think I was quite fortunate around then because I'd, I'd umpired quite a bit when I was injured. I'd also got a bit of a go in the old evening standard competition. Um, because they used to give uh, some quite new umpires a chance in the early rounds. Um, so uh, the first year of being on the county league panel was when I was, uh, yeah, 34. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I say, I've only played one game since, and I didn't really miss it. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because for, for a long time, playing the game is the only thing you can possibly conceive of doing. Um, and I've spoke to a number of umpires who said the same, that they, they sort of wandered into umpiring, really, and then suddenly found that actually they really enjoyed it. Um, and I, was, I mean, I'm quite intrigued with your playing side of things, though, before we get onto the umpiring. Were there any particular highlights? I mean, I, I know you were, you know, very modestly said you, were, you, you weren't a particularly high standard cricketer, but I mean, every player has, has highlights in their career, no matter how good or bad they are. Uh, is there anything that, that particularly stands out, anything that you remember? Um, well, I, I got a few hundreds. I think I got three over my career and um, my TVL days, a club I played before we got promoted uh, a few times. We had some relegations mixed in. So, um, you know, had a few sort of winners' medals. Um, but uh, I, I never hit any heights, really. Um, and um, I, I, I suppose I, I was gradually improving through my early 20s. And then I hit a point where I clearly wasn't. And I wasn't going to be doing it. <laughs> yeah. It was those sort of last few seasons where I was starting to lose motivation. But in actual fact, it came quite suddenly in a way. I mean, it was partway through my last season. I just thought, I don't really want to be uh, playing against the same teams, not doing any better than before. Um, I just wanted a change at that point. And I mm -hmm. thought, I still want to be going out on a Saturday and Sunday cricket matches. I can't really imagine doing anything else. So I might as well do that as an umpire. Um, and I found from my sort of first year of doing that, uh, you know, I was meeting new people, seeing different grounds, seeing different types of cricket. So um, there wasn't much that I, uh, I missed from being a player, really. Um, Matt, I want to ask you, so when you started off in the league itself, um, obviously you must have sort of realised I've got some potential in being a decent umpire. Did you have any sort of uh, mentors? So now nowadays they appoint mentors for new umpires. Was there anybody back in the day then who you was appointed with, was supposed to work with, or was someone who just took you under their sort of, um, you know, under their bridge to say, you know, I'll look after you for the first couple of seasons of your umpiring career? Well, there wasn't one, but I certainly found all the experienced umpires that I, I stood with in the early days of the league. Um, were always happy to help and provide advice. And because I was new, um, I was lucky that in my first season, generally speaking, I would be some of the most experienced members of the panel. So I didn't have a formal uh, mentor, but every game I was sort of picking things up from, uh, uh, from colleagues. And we used to sort of sit down after games. And I suppose I was, uh, because I was new to it, I was keen to uh, you know, improve and, and learn. So I'd often try and pick the brains of really whoever I was uh, uh, standing with. Um, in terms of your early days of umpiring, I mean, what was your sort of early experience in terms of, I mean, obviously it's quite, I think a lot of it's probably based around confidence isn't being an umpire and trust in your judgment. Did you have any sort of early kind of, you know, I won't call it the yips obviously, but sort of stages where you thought this is maybe not for me or you just you thought you threw yourself into it and thought this is what I want to do and I'm going to be good at it? Oh, you definitely have difficult times. I mean, I think any time you get put into a new situation like that um, as an umpire, you feel nervous. And I mean, I my early days, I mean, so I can sort of remember my, uh, I can remember my first day, game as an independently appointed umpire. That was in the evening standard competition. I, 
can remember my first league game in Division 3. I can remember the first game in Division 2. And each of the times, you know, inevitably, you feel a little bit nervous. And I think my, it was about my fourth or fifth game. Um, and I won't mention the sides involved. There might be still people around who played in it. But, um, you know, I had a bit of a disaster. You know, it was one or two decisions early on, which, um, uh, you know, probably got wrong. And people started to sort of, uh, you could hear the chatter going on. And then I gave captain of one side out and he just turned around and said, well, I might have been out too over the go, but I don't think that was out. And it was just the whole thing, um, the real sort of nightmare day. And it's tough. You know, I hadn't experienced that up until that point. Um, and after that, I thought, well, yeah, do I really want to be doing this? And I did speak to people after that. And they said, well, this is the way umpiring is. You've got to, uh, uh, you know, get used to having a, a thick skin. And, and the longer time goes on, the more experience you build up, uh, the easier it will be to deal with the difficult times. And hopefully they'll become uh, fewer. But no, it certainly wasn't... Um, plain sailing at all i think in the early days um you know there's several games which i look back on and think well um you know i'd rather they'd have they'd have gone better certainly yeah i mean that's only logical matty really isn't it players have good days and bad days players learn as they go along um and, and i'd yeah. be amazed if umpires are any different yeah the problem is it, it hits you quite hard i think when you're uh you've been used to uh being a player being part of a uh, team, and although you've got a colleague as an umpire, there are times when it's uh, a bit lonely, I guess. It's well, it's a bit solitary, isn't it? And uh, yeah. you know that the game I'm thinking of, you know, the side that lost, um, clearly thinking that it was me that had contributed to that, that it was my fault. And if you've never been in that situation before, um, you know, it does hit you quite hard, and you think, mm. well, do I want to see that team again? Do I want to do that? Uh, is it really worth? Uh, all the hassle um and that that doesn't go away quickly you know you have to uh you have to learn to live with it but it doesn't doesn't necessarily happen quickly sure sure i mean uh, difficult question this one and, and this pod's not meant to be an uber serious pod but um it, it is quite a serious question i guess um player behavior now we we often hear about player behaviour when players get things wrong, and, and they do. We've all been in games where players have made, made mistakes on the behavioural front. But do you think it, it's getting better, it's getting worse, or, 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 or is it just, you know, sort of trendless fluctuation there? What, what, how do you feel players are, are, are treating umpires these days? Well, I think it goes in phases, actually. I mean, we've had some, uh, some difficult years in recent seasons. Uh, I think the, the worst year that we had in terms of disciplinary measures was followed by some much uh, better years. Uh, and so I think we've got this on a sort of fairly even keel in uh, Middlesex. I mean, we run uh, exchanges with other leagues. So I've had the opportunity mm, yeah. to go to um, all the other leagues really surrounding us. And, you know, in, in one or two of those games, the, uh, the, the behaviour has been Conspicuously worse than we might expect in a Middlesex league game. Now, of course, there are factors there. You can't just uh, think of one game as a representative example. But I think, you know, generally speaking, player behaviour is uh, is pretty reasonable. But inevitably, each year we get uh, incidents. Um, I think the, the more difficult aspect tends to be the sort of lower level, sort of out of earshot stuff, um, which. Um, think is probably um, uh, certainly worse now than at the time I played, you know, pretty unusual hearing this sort of stuff. But I think there's standard might have dropped a little bit on that sort of thing. But in terms of actual, you know, incidents that go on, I think it goes in phases and in Middlesex I don't think we do too badly with that. Right. Well that's that's good to hear, I guess. Um that, that Middlesex is um uh, you know, its standards are not getting worse, at least. I don't appear to be. Um, being a bit more upbeat, Matthew, um, I always like to hear about, you know, high points in, in, in people's careers. What, what's the most memorable experience you've ever had as an umpire? Or, or putting the same question another way, talk to us about some of the most memorable games you've been involved in. Um, well, I've been lucky enough to umpire at Lords a couple of times, so I suppose I have to put that uh, pretty near the top. So I, I did Eaton and Harrow in 2013 and then MCC right. against the Champion Club last year. So the Eaton Harrow match, uh, okay, it's a school match, but I think there was about a thousand people there, and 
first time I'd umpired at Lords, and I was at the far you end. Just a thousand, that's more than in most championship games. <laughs> yeah, most of them were pupils, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The the, the, the uh, couple of stands were pretty full, but um, uh, to be there and be standing at the far end and to be able to see the pavilion, obviously the walk through from the changing room through the long room, um, because it's like so iconic. Uh, that's that's a very special uh, feeling to be able to do. So I was very fortunate mm. there. Um, I've done a game. Any did you, did you have a, a howler-free game? Um, well, nothing that I look back on and think was uh, was definitely wrong. Like cool. Well, that's always good to know, isn't it? Yeah. The lads out LBW, I think the, the teachers were happy enough. So, um, no, I don't think there was anything uh, that I can remember in that one. But um, I've done a game good. at the Oval. That was um, quite amusing in a way because it was a pre-season friendly in Middlesex and Surrey and played on something like the 25th of March. And it was uh, three days. Um, and um, because it was quite cold and it was early season and the light wasn't uh, very good, we were able to use the floodlights. And um, even in red ball cricket, if the, uh, uh, if the floodlights take over, basically you're supposed to go off special match. Um, and on the first two days, that's exactly what we did. And the players didn't care. They were quite happy. They, were cold. they just ran off. Uh, and on the third day, we did exactly the same thing in mid-afternoon. And all of a sudden, there were about the crowd of, on the third day was about twenty-five, uh, and half a dozen, <laughs> half, half a dozen of the crowd uh, decided to start booing me and my colleague. Um, and they did this for pretty much the whole of the time when we were walking from the square to the steps, and we hung around at the bottom of the steps, thinking it might get brighter. And they carried on booing. And so I thought, well, I've been booed off at the Oval here. And that had happened to, there'd been an Ashes match, I think it was the year before, where England almost won, but the game was ended because uh, uh, the umpires uh, took the players off the light. Uh, and I thought, well, here, I'm, I'm now with Aleem Dar and being uh, booed off at the Oval. So that's a what a badge of honour. You can wear that with badge. pride, can't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's in terms of grounds, yeah. I mean, in terms of matches, I mean, I've been lucky enough to do the... Um, I did the T20 club final in 2016. So that was uh, played under lights at Derby. Uh, Who was in that, that one in 2016? Uh, Swardston won the final against uh, San Diego. Derbyshire. Right. So okay. uh, that was yeah. great. It was the whole day. It, three of us, we did two games each. I did the second semi-final and the final. Uh, it wasn't live on Sky by then. They'd just gone to a half an hour uh, highlights programme. But um, uh, we did the whole... Uh, day quite a decent crowd and final under lights. The local team had a bit of support, although they they lost the sports. But you know, we we came off at the end of that uh, game and that day. It was about half past ten, and uh, you know it had gone pretty well. Everybody had seemed happy with how it had gone, uh, and there was a real sense of satisfaction. I think one of the great things about umpiring is that uh, when it goes uh, well. Um, you know, there's a real strong sense of thinking, yeah, you know, I, I did that there. That was a tough situation, which I uh, dealt with. I think there, there can be a real sense of achievement there. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, I, can, I really can. Um, and in terms of club cricket in Middlesex, any particular games that, um, that, that, that now, spring to you're mind? Steering this, you're steering this uh, particular uh, direction, Dan, uh, aren't I you? Wouldn't I wouldn't think... possibly want to comment on that, uh, Matty, to no, be well, but if you well, want to go I'll there, tell you. Can. <laughs> Even if it wasn't you asking me the question, um, the most dramatic game I did was indeed uh, the one you played in when uh, Twickenham got promoted into the Premier Division against Southgate. So, uh, yeah, I, really, you couldn't really have made that up the way it went. I mean, uh, you needed only a draw, as I recall. That's correct, having, yeah. Having won the toss and decided to bowl, assuming you weren't bowled out in the second innings, you were going up. So in response to whatever was it, 250 or something like that? 265, I think, uh, yeah. 265, uh, yeah. you were, what, 13 for well, six or I, seven? Yeah, I opened the bat in uh, and I was fourth out and we were seven for four. And then we were 13 for seven. Uh, and then, No, sorry, not 13 for seven. We were 30-odd for seven. Uh, and then we, we had two of our big hitters in. There's no way they were going to block it. So they decided to try and whack us to, to, to somewhere near um safety which sort of it massively helped but didn't quite get us there and then we had matty we had an hour in pitch black darkness batting out at now, the end now now you i couldn't possibly <laughs> comment on that given how long ago it was but um i remember 
I, I do remember various aspects of the game. I mean, I um, tend to have quite a good memory for these things. Um, I remember one thing is that during that uh, last hour when uh, Southgate bowled, how a 25 over. They did 25, um, yeah. 25. There weren't any chances. I mean, normally in a game yeah. like that, you're going to get drop catches or shouts for LBW or something. And there wasn't anything. I do remember that. And, and we came off. And yes, I noticed that the cars had their headlights on. And um, we did wonder, well, perhaps it was a bit dark. We'd said that, because uh, I umpired that game with um, uh, Richard Hogson. Who's great yeah. Bad yeah. In a car crash. It's a real terrible story. But um, uh, we came off and thought, well, actually, I wonder if uh, maybe it was too dark to play. And I, I think one of the things is that Richard and I have been umpiring about the same length of time, probably two or three years. And you don't often have to deal with light in club matches. Yeah, very um, true. And so we probably didn't think about it enough. I mean, we came off and you see all the cars with their lights on. I did think, well, maybe even um, they shouldn't have been bowling spin bowling at that point. But uh, we did finish very late. Uh, we had another thing I remember about it was um, we had uh, a period of minute silence, didn't we, for Jim Conroy at Teton? We did. That's right. And that, yeah. It wasn't just a minute because that took a long time to organise. So that contributed to the fact that Teton. So, um, but it was the most incredible uh, finish, and I haven't had a more dramatic game. Uh, and to add context, our, our last pair batted out. I, I should have looked this up, knowing that we were going to speak about this. Something like seventeen overs, and one of them was, uh, you know, quite a young lad, sixteen-year-old Jack Parker, and the other had never knowingly played a defensive shot in his entire Twickenham career, and yet suddenly became the master of the leave alone. And, and, and you're right, Southgate played it very well. They got twenty-five overs in. They raced between the overs, so there was yep. there was no issues with that. It was just. Um, yeah, it was just a bit a bit murky at the end, wasn't it? Uh, it was, yes. I mean, I think um, with a bit more experience, and also times have changed a bit now. I think we're more cautious on this sort of thing now in terms of light. Uh, and now with a bit more experience and more reference points in terms of uh, what's acceptable, um, I suspect you wouldn't have had the back one. But I also want to be crystal clear. I'm pulling your leg. We, it's, it's a day that is, you know, etched in Twickenham's history when we first went into the Premier League. And the way we went up actually made it such a memorable day because 300 or so people watching at the end. Um, yeah, um, great stuff. But yeah. I could wax lyrical about that for at least, you know, five hours. So, and I'd better not. Sal, do you want to come back in? <laughs> yes. Matty, so I mentioned earlier on about your role as a panel one party secretary for the league for quite a few years. I and mean, what, what does that actual role actually entail on a sort of weekly basis? Do you want to give the listeners a kind of idea of what you have to do regarding that? Yeah, sure. So I did that for seven years and I stood down at the end of uh, last season. So I was uh, responsible basically for the um, uh, the appointments. I mean, the panel has a, uh, a committee uh, of uh, five people who sort of make the uh, sort of strategic decisions in relation to the panel. But I was doing the actual nuts and bolts of organising the appointments. And that's quite a long uh, process. So working out the membership of the panel, who's going to be on it, who's going to be new on it, whether uh, umpires previously stood in the championship or from elsewhere, uh, collecting all the availability, uh, working out strategically how many games each umpire do in principle in a given division, uh, translating that into having the right number of umpires available in each division uh, for each week, and then actually doing the appointment. So uh, that took me... Um, a fair bit of time through sort of February and March each year of my uh, time as uh, panel secretary. Uh, once the season gets going, then I wasn't dealing with the sort of weekly changes to uh, appointments that somebody else dealt with that. Um, and then you basically go through a very similar process again uh, towards the end of May, beginning of June, working out appointments for the next three weeks. Uh, and then the final three weeks, uh, I was doing them uh, week by week. Uh, in addition to that, I did a lot of administration of the uh, uh, panel in relation to uh, meetings and um, worked closely with um, the observations coordinators. We have a series of observations where um, we uh, did sort of formal observations of umpires, produced reports on them, gave feedback and uh, and so on. So there's quite a, a, a lot of uh, work and sort of science that goes into the appointment process. I mean, clubs might not be uh, aware of how much goes into that because there are so many factors in terms of ensuring that uh, um, the 
getting the right umpires in the right games. Umpires have an appropriate spread of fixtures, whether that's in relation to divisions or different uh, clubs. They're, they're standing with uh, you know kind of the same colleagues too often, uh, and also trying to make sure you have uh, you know, the key umpires in what might be a key game. But of course, it's very hard to know what that's going to be if you're doing that in uh, February, March. So. I also organised the exchanges with other leagues, so there was a process involved in that where I would liaise with representatives of uh, the other leagues uh, around uh, around ours to work out who was going to their league and who was coming to ours. Um, so it's uh, quite a big job. Sounds it. Sounds it. You got your hands full there by the sounds of it. Just a quick question on the exchange basis. I mean, how? Does, I mean, is that just done to give umpires more experience of other leagues? Other formats, other sort of conditions potentially, and I mean, is that the reason behind it? Yeah, so they're they're very good um, sort of developmental opportunities. So um, we tried to, uh, in the main, prioritise umpires who were uh, improving uh, and uh, and looking to uh, develop to go on exchanges because uh, by going to another league, you experience a different set of playing conditions. You go into an environment where you are. Um, which isn't familiar to you, and they don't know you, so it's quite tough. That is, you know, you have to um, be very confident in that uh, in that situation. So um, it's a great way of um, sharpening umpires, um, and also we make uh, good links with the uh, the league through that. So we develop an understanding of what their playing conditions are, what their match day requirements are. So as an example, uh, the last few years, one of the very positive developments in the Middlesex League, in my view, is we've stricter in terms of what we expect clubs to be able to do on a on a match day good thing you know, whether it's providing fair balls or remark increases and so on and that was going on in other leagues uh, before we implemented that so it's helpful for us to be able to say well we've seen it in operation elsewhere so uh, we know that it can uh, work um, so it's a good thing for the umpires uh, and it's also I think it's a good thing for understanding what's going on elsewhere And Matty, do you find look, looking up rather than across that um, umpiring minor counties cricket is much different? I mean, obviously the laws are the same, but I mean, it, it, does anything fundamentally change as you go up through the pyramid? Um, well, uh, not fundamentally. Obviously, it's still the same game, but I mean, you do notice the uh, difference in sort of intensity and pressure that comes with doing um, uh, minor counties now national county cricket and also county. Uh, second eleven matches. I mean, you're dealing with quite a lot of uh, streetwise uh, players um, who have often a lot of experience, and you know, the crowd will be bigger. You will have more people to uh, deal with, whether it's coaches, committees, caterers around. Um, there's a lot more management to do of those games, and a lot of people, certainly when it comes to uh, uh, the minor counties, as you'll know, who care very deeply about. Um, about absolutely how yeah. and that's, mm-hmm. um, uh, that brings with it uh, a challenge I, I think the main challenge of moving up to those levels tends to be um, the fact that you're dealing with multi-day matches I mean once you get on to doing three and case four day matches that brings with it a whole new set of challenges and some of those are obvious so um, you know dealing with all the um, mowing of the pitch and rolling and, uh, uh, you know, different rules have been raised sorting out the but um, the bigger challenges really are in uh, being able to maintain your focus and concentration across a multi-day match. And that's not an easy thing to do when you start doing it. You can't be thinking as you start from 11 o'clock on the first day, uh, oh, I've got three more days of this, because you just won't be able to concentrate properly if you break it down into sections. And that takes time. It takes time to develop that, uh, uh, that skill. Uh, and in a multi-day match, I don't think you realise until you, you do them um, how the rhythm of the game changes. So, for example, in the towards the end of a multi-day match on the third day when the game is on the line, um, often the atmosphere and the conditions can be very different from early on. So the pitch has changed, the side's getting more competitive because the game's on the line, and that's taking place at a time when potentially your concentration might be suffering because you've already been out there for two and a half days. So that sort of um, skill. I think that's the big challenge of going up to higher levels uh, in doing that multi-day uh, match. 
Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Interesting approach. Um, Sal? Yeah, Matthew, I want to ask you, obviously, I'm not sure if you know, during the winter I did actually a stage one and two umpiring course, which I probably enjoyed. Learned lots from it. Um, things I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, good. And um, obviously we did tension of umpiring this season, but obviously looks like that may not happen. Um, obviously there's a shortage of umpires in the leagues, you know, throughout, throughout South East and I'm sure other parts of the country as well. If I said to you right now, sell umpiring to our listeners, what would you, what would you say? Um, well, great that you did the courses. I mean, first of all, before I answer that, um, there is definitely uh, a need to recruit umpires. Umpire numbers are, generally speaking, going down. Uh, the availability of umpires is, broadly speaking, reducing. Uh, so there's no doubt that we always need um, uh, more umpires. Uh, how would I sell it to them? Well, it's a great way to be involved in the game. So, uh, you know, it's not the same as playing, but the opportunity to see uh, different types of cricket, perhaps a higher level of cricket than uh, the level of cricket that you currently uh, play at, I, I think is um, that's a great uh, opportunity. The sense of satisfaction when it goes well is quite considerable. So there's a real sense of achievement to do it well. Um, there's a great sense of, I think, fellowship and sort of camaraderie amongst uh, cricket officials. I think it's a great way of uh, making those sorts of friendships and, uh, and connections. Great way of seeing uh, different types of cricket, different uh, environments. You know, I've been fortunate enough to do a handful of games uh, abroad, uh, you know, and I've seen um, lots of different leagues, types of cricket that I would never have seen if I'd have been uh, a player. Um, so I think it's it's a great way to be involved. I remember speaking to Charlie Puckett about this, Matty, actually, and he said much the same. He said in his own inimicable fashion that as a player, he was goddamn useless. And as an umpire, he was a bit better than goddamn useless. So he was playing at a higher standard, as it were. And he, and he, he realised he, he could do the umpiring thing. And, and that's, that, that's one of the reasons he went down that route. And that, that sounds perfectly logical to me. You know, if you find uh, it's, it's not always a case that good players make good umpires. You know, it's, it, it's very much a skill. And, and you could well be very, very good at it, even if you were an average player, right? Well, I think so. I mean, it, it helps to have, um, uh, to have played. But I think um, whatever level you're umpiring at, uh, the degree of knowledge that you need from having played, that's something that can be learned if you have. It might take sure. longer to develop. But, you know, if you're somebody with a broad interest in the game, you know, I'm somebody who's always had a you know, strong link to the game. So um, now being in an office situation where I am, you know, on the same field with professional players, I would never have been able to dream of that uh, when I was uh, uh, playing. And now I'm on the same pitch in the same sort of circles occasionally uh, with the players of that uh, bracket and that's a, a very special thing Absolutely yeah I, I can completely follow that uh, Matty I have one last question before we go into our, our, our traditional end of pod quiz and it's quite a simple question but I'll be, I'll be very intrigued to, to, to hear your take on it um, do you believe there's such a thing as the spirit of cricket? Oh gosh that's Another Is that a hand grenade I've just flung in there? I don't know. Well, I've heard, heard, yeah, I mean, I still do hold out to the idea that the sort of values that happen within cricket are in practice sometimes slightly different from those in other sports. So I think my short answer is yes, I think there is. Um, I don't think that the laws of cricket can cover every eventuality in such a way um, that there won't be situations where you would expect, or well, expect is probably a stronger word, where you would hope that um, the spirit of cricket in inverted commas uh, would apply. So I'll give an example. Um, there was an Ashes match at Edgbaston where Australia, uh, the wicketkeeper, got injured after the teams had been nominated. Hadn't got injured, I think it was. Um, and in theory, they would have had to, according to the law, they would have had to play that game um, with um, him in the team. Uh, they could have had a sub uh, to field, but wouldn't have been able to keep wicket and wouldn't have been able to bat. Uh, and England, as was there, they were entitled to do, said, no, that's fine, you can replace him properly. Whereas in law, um, they, they could have said no. Um, mm. And I think that was the spirit of cricket applying there. Uh, you know, it would have been pretty unreasonable for them to say that you couldn't replace that player with a wicket for a five-day test. And I think that's mm. the sort of thing where um, uh, 
the spirit of cricket can apply. But I mean, I don't go overboard about it. I mean, I always walk when I uh, uh, when I play, but I, you know, I recognise that that's an individual choice, and I was never mm. playing with any great confidence. So I wouldn't make a big a big thing of that. Fair enough. It's one of those topics I find fascinating, and and uh, as Sal knows, I could probably wax lyrical about my scepticism towards the spirit of cricket for a long time but it's not all about me it's all about you and i'm interested to hear that and i totally see where you're coming from i think we should nonetheless move towards our um our quiz uh, um sally you is that okay with you yeah i'm ready to go yes good good um right i think i'll kick off with one of our traditional questions matt now as i say to everybody the first answer you think of is normally the best answer um, we're, we're not going to we're not going to grill you on any of these. Although I might, and we might poke and prod a, a little bit just to just to get some explanations. But the first answer you think of is normally the best one. So, um, Sky Sports or TMS? Uh, Sky Sports. I don't listen to TMS as much as I used to when I was younger. So, um, and I, I do like the, the Sky coverage. Uh, and it's easy to forget that. Uh, and I know there are of course issues about the fact that uh, you need a subscription to see it. I get that, um, but. Think of a time when I was growing up when um, uh, 420, key moment of the uh, test match, and we have the uh, racing from Haydock for 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, or likewise, you know, watching test cricket abroad. I mean, the idea yeah. of you get half an hour of England when they're in Australia and that was it. You know, the idea of watching Australia place um, New Zealand in a test match, it was just uh, unheard of. So um, Sky Sports for me. That makes a lot of sense. And you said a 420 at Haydock. I still, even now, have a hatred of tennis. Right, Wimbledon, just get <laughs> out of my TV. I'm watching the Test match. And, of course, anyone who's under 30 won't have a clue what we're talking about. But, yeah, cricket did have to share the airwaves with, um, with other sports. And I, I never accepted that. So I, I see the angle. Um, Sal? OK, um, Matty, I'm talking about headgear now. So are you a sun hat person, flat cap or no headgear at all? Uh, I always wear a hat unless it's too windy and it keeps blowing off and uh, the reason I always wear a, a hat is because um, first of all it might rain or it might be sunny uh, also uh, if the ball comes flying in for any reason uh, hits me on the head an extra bit of protection and also it solves the problem of thinking well shall I wear my hat shall I not wear a hat um, I just always wear it at the end and what type of hat do you wear are we talking I wear floppy a sun hat or Panama. No, no, I wear no. I wear a Panama Jack hat, and uh, the reason I wear that is because basically it's the the, the style that most of the professional umpires wear. Uh, and so, you know, if you're going to look the part, um, you ought to wear the right type of hat. I'll have to buy one now. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, you can get them on Amazon, Sal. It must be an essential item. They'll deliver those things. Sure. Cool. Next one, uh, Matthew. Would you prefer umpiring in, um, and we're talking about league cricket, and leave three or four day games to one side, um, timed cricket or limited overs cricket? Um, well, different challenges, I mean, I'd have thought, as an umpire. They are, they are different challenges, yeah. Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, uh, I've always said that it's the game belongs to the players. It's a player's game. Uh, we should be playing, broadly speaking, the game that they want. Uh, so I'm not sure umpires should be having a big say in what type of cricket uh, we play. Um, I said I suppose I'm a, a bit of a traditionalist. I think I'd be uh, it'd be sad if we went to just straight limited overs personally, um, because I think some of the richness of the games would be lost. I think there is still uh, a place for being able to build a longer innings, uh, have a spin bowler bowling uh, a long spell. Uh, hmm. Some of the most exciting games I've done, as we've already talked about, have been games where there's been a draw available. So, yeah. um, you know, I'd still think we need time cricket personally. But I respect that, you know, times have uh, changed. You know, people's lifestyles are different. Their expectations are different. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if the situation changes in the coming years because people are, um, you know, moved towards playing. Uh, straight limited overs matches, but it's not what I'd go for. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. Matty, so you've got a choice of book here to keep in your top pocket when you're umpiring. Is it the MCC Laws of the Game or Tom Smith's Cricket and Umpiring Scoring Book? <laughs> well, they're both in my back. <laughs> 
Talk about niche uh, questions, you know. <laughs> that is a very niche question. I mean, there's been some marvellous work done on the new edition of uh, Tom Smith. It is a very big book, but I think it would really weigh you down. Uh, I'm not sure it would fit in the pocket, um, so it would have to be the Lord. Uh, that said, it isn't a great look for an umpire to be uh, saying, hang on, I just need to check that law in my book. Um, one piece of advice mm. I give uh, any umpires to try and make sure you know the laws, know, the, know them back, basically. That's uh, an interesting... Sal, have you ever seen an umpire check a law in the middle of a game? I don't think I ever have, actually. I've never thought about no, this till no. now. Actually, no, I haven't, mm. no. No, not even, no. That's true. Okay, mm. Dan, your turn. Yep. Um, Right, choice of three on, on this one, Matty. And I think it would be pretty obvious why we've gone for the three that we have. But um, who would you pick? Uh, Dickie Bird, Steve Buckner or Billy Bowden? You know, so if you had to have somebody at the other end to umpire with, who would you go for? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, with the proviso that I, I don't know any of them. Um, mm -hmm. But I appreciate that they're very uh, experienced, established umpires. I am. Uh, on a hunch, going to go for Steve Buckner. Um, okay. And I do that because, I mean, there are different ways to umpire, of course they are, and there's scope to be yourself, um, and you shouldn't try to be something that you clearly are not. Uh, but that said, I've never been a great fan of uh, umpires who seek to be, or indeed officials in any sport, who seek to be the centre of tension. Um, and there's a case to be made for saying that the two I haven't picked did that, uh, even though they were you know, very experienced and good umpires. So if you're asking me to pick between those, I'm going to go for uh, Buckner, uh, who I do remember when he retired. I mean, it was almost as if he was a bit embarrassed to do his uh, lap of honour, as I recall. So I think that reflected the fact that he thought it was the player's game. So uh, I'm going to go for him. And Billy Bowden was, was, was many things, but one of them was not a shrinking violet. That's absolutely... True. And of course, if it rained, then you could talk football with Steve Buckner because he has refereed international football as well. He's a multi talented man. So he has, yes, yes, indeed. Okay, Matty, so obviously umpiring can be quite a tiring job of being on your feet all day, so you need to be well fed. Um, which of these is your favourite meal? Fish and chips or roast dinner? Oh, gosh. Um, well, during a, during a match, I try and be a bit careful what I, uh, what I eat because eating too much might cause me to nod off. Uh, after the interval um, I'll cope with either but um, I think I'll go for the roast dinner um, for choice Any particular type of meat or is it a vegetarian option? Uh, no I'm, I'm quite carnivorous I do go for my meat so um, either lamb or beef I think Because Mike Milton last week was, was duck wasn't he Sal? He, he said he fancied a bit of roast duck he, he, Yeah he raised the game last week with the food yeah definitely Yeah um, good, good. Next question. We're going to we're going to um, sort of stick with football. Actually, inadvertently, there me having mentioned Steve Buckner was a football referee. Um, you are, of course, a Birmingham City fan, uh, Matty, as as many people will know. So, um, given that, would you go for Trevor Francis or Christophe Dugarry? Right. Well, uh, one point is that I never saw either of them play in the flesh because uh, you never saw Dugarry play. Dugarry's no, because recent, he, he only played the second half of the season, and. Yeah. Um, a fair bit of that was taken up by the cricket season, so I missed his, his handful of weeks. Um, by that time, I'm only going sort of six to ten games a year, so I never saw Dugarry play in the flesh. Uh, and I say Francis had been sold by the time I started going. Um, but I am going to answer the question, and uh, I think you have to say uh, Trevor Francis. I mean, I think he's the best player that uh, Birmingham City have had in uh, uh, in living memory. So. Uh, I think it'd be pretty sacrilegious not to go for him at the top of the list. I think that makes sense. Although the, the Blues fans that I know do always talk about Duggery and his impact in that half a season in, in a way that makes me think he's got... Sometimes having a short, sharp impact can give you that extra status too. But I totally get it. Trevor Francis, one of a kind in terms of uh, his role at Blues. So good stuff, Sam. OK, um, so we're going to move on to grounds now. So, Matty, which one... Well, which, what would be your most hospitable ground you've umpired at? So in terms of maybe looking after food-wise, changing facilities after the game. Which ground would you say has been the most you know, hospitable? If it's well, food, facilities, think, yeah. Change of facilities has got to be Twickenham. I mean, the second to none at Twickenham. You know, it's palatial what we offer on pies, right, mate? Right, OK. I'm a bit reluctant here to go for a league <laughs> club. Uh, well, I've talked about Lords and the Oval. I mean, the Lords catering and uh, the facilities 
there uh, are pretty good. So I'll go a bit left field and I'll say the Sheikh Zayed Stadium in Abu Dhabi um, because uh, that was a bit uh, different. I think we got we had a very good uh, done a couple of games there and uh, we had a very good uh, meal uh, between uh, uh, between innings. So uh, there we are. Just to keep all the league clubs happy, I'm going to go for a uh, ground in a different continent. And who was playing there? In which picture was your umpire in? Well, I've been twice. So the first time was a was a women's uh, under nineteen tournament. The second time I went was during the uh, county's pre season warm ups. So um, I did uh, Worcestershire against uh, Derbyshire. So um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter much because it was like pre-season games but uh, uh, to be on a, a test ground uh, funnily enough in that game um, it was getting a bit dark Dan but the bowling was yeah. a bit quicker yeah. gate. <laughs> um, and I, I said to my colleague well, we might need to go off here and just at that point um, all the uh, floodlights came on we didn't know they were even available so we finished we played the last half hour of the game uh, and came off and said to the organiser well what uh, we didn't realise the lights were available. I said, well, the shake likes cricket here, so we don't pay much in the way of electricity bills. So whenever you need them, we put them on. So uh, uh, that was it. Uh, that was quite a memorable day, that one. Fantastic. And what about grounds that are not in Middlesex? That, that, I mean, I totally understand why you don't want to name check grounds that you could end up turning up at next season or the season after. But are there any grounds outside of Middlesex that are particularly fond memories in terms of good places to stand? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, some of the minor counties grounds are good, aren't they? There's some, there's some really nice picturesque. Yeah, some really yeah. nice places. So, uh, for example, I did a game at Great and Little Chew years ago. Uh, oh, right, yeah. yeah. Cheshire, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but they're beautiful, scenic, uh, sort of rural grounds. Um, and uh, Dinton was another one, very similar, a Bucks home game. Um, so... Yeah, the, the minor counties games, you often get uh, you know, quite sort of picturesque places, certainly. Super. Um, once again, exempting all current players from your answer for obvious reasons, right? Um, who, who did you most enjoy, um, not umpiring against, that's the wrong phrase, but which player did you most enjoy having on the field when you were umpiring? Who, who did you always, I'm not sure if respect is quite the right word, but if there's one player thinking, oh yeah, I, I liked umpiring games where he was involved, who would it be, excluding everyone who's still playing? Oh gosh. Um, well, um, without being definitive about uh, whether people are still definitely playing or not you you feel a bit of a buzz when it's a, it's a really top player especially a, a recreational umpire so an example of that would be um i umpired a game where mahela jaya warden had played oh wow um, at this well this was um, a second 11 match where he was playing for uh, sussex in the t20 and he needed a bit of a um, uh, he needed a knock. So came, yeah. came in a game against the MCC YCs, um, and uh, I think he blocked the first two, and he hit the next two over extra cover for four. Um, <laughs> and the chap standing next to me said, "Oh, this guy looks a good player." I said, "Well, he's got about eleven thousand test runs. Hold the bat." Um, so that sort of situation. Another from a bowling perspective, um, uh, I did a T Twenty game where Essex team were about to start the uh, the main competition uh, and they had Sean Tate as their overseas player uh, mm. and again he just just arrived in the country so needed to bowl a few overs but he opened the bowling at one end and Simone Mills was still with Essex opened the bowling from the other <sighs> end against the Unicorns and um, uh, the lad who was opening the batting for the Unicorns the first over from Sean Tate he was nearer me at square leg than he was the ball so I think when you um, you get on the field with those players who are you know a cut above what you would normally uh, see, that's the bit where you think, gosh, this is, uh, uh, this is quite special. Yeah. And some poor souls, a unicorn. He's basically a club cricketer, and he turns up yeah. and he's got ninety-five mile an hour at one end and ninety-four mile an hour at the other. Yeah, crikey! Yeah. Welcome to it, the it, it was actually it was even worse than that because some of the players we were playing Bishop Stortford, some of them had like come from Cumbria playing this uh, game um, and it rained for a big proportion of the 
Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so one of the few things mm, they got you. to do uh, was to face that bowling attack. Yeah. <laughs> and get back on the M6. Yeah, wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool, Sal? Okay, Matthew, we're talking about some memorable moments now in your career, actually in your lifetime, actually, not just cricketing now. Um, the first one I have no recollection of, even though it actually happened, but apparently Birmingham City won the League Cup a few years back. Um, or oh, That's true, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure who they played that day, so let's not talk about that. Um, or, <laughs> or being 15-1 to 1 quiz show champion. So which of those two memories was the most memorable for you? Right. Um, okay. Um, well, firstly, on the League Cup final, um, I missed that. I, I, I went to the... We, when, we went, when we played in the League Cup final in 2001, I was there in Cardiff, and also the playoff final in 2002. Uh, but I didn't go to the League Cup final against Arsenal because, uh, believe it or not, I had a module of an umpire's course that I needed to do. I'd been waiting about a year to get a place on this course. It's the, the old level three, which is now stage four. Uh, and eventually it was one arranged. And it was, ironically, it was in Birmingham on that day. So I wasn't there. Um, that however, is dedication, Matty. You, you are a man who I got nothing but respect for, sacrificing you know, the end of the curse, well, man. The end of the well, curse. The, you were I, cursed, I know, Birmingham were. I know. I mean, I think um, one of the things in the lead-up to that game, bear in mind we were relegated that season. I mean, uh, I had no realistic expectation that we were going to win. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'd seen us lose one League Cup final on penalties. I mean, to lose another one as well, I thought. Uh, so what? I suppose I, part of me does regret that uh, now. But it's not a problem because every time I go to a home game, I can watch the over-famy Martin goal on the big screen several times before the match starts. So <laughs> still get my uh, uh, my fill of it, so it's, it's no problem. But um, can you tell us about this curse but, very quickly? Because Birmingham City was famously cursed, wasn't it? St Andrews was cursed because gypsies were kicked off the ground they, or something? They threw some gypsies off the ground when it, when it was built and allegedly they put a uh, curse on the ground saying that you <laughs> could never win anything and uh, various things have happened over time to try and uh, uh, allegedly lift the curse. Uh, one of them was hanging crosses around floodlights. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another one was uh, Barry Fry um, deciding in the goal mouth to, uh, uh, shall we say, some personal actions in the goal mouth rather than in the toilet. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I don't really believe in the uh, curse. It's a nice story, but um, I'm not going for that. Anyway, the back to the question. Um, unquestionably, I'm going to go for um, Birmingham City winning the League Cup because uh, the quiz stuff was great fun, uh, but I always saw that as uh, just uh, a bit of fun. Uh, it didn't really matter what happened. I mean, okay, I did well, but um, it was always a bit of a laugh. It didn't bother me how it went. And even though football is, um, isn't important either, really, I mean, that was Birmingham City winning a major trophy. I mean, that was pretty important. That however, 40,000 people we put, uh, and now eight eight years on, you know, we're still thinking um, that that was it's probably the high point of uh, footballing life essentially. I mean, we've gone 50 years without winning a trophy. If we go 50 years again, there won't be another one. So, uh, um, yeah, definitely uh, the Blues on that one. You do undercook the 15 to 1 stuff, though, Matthew. You, you didn't just win it. You hold the record for the most points ever scored in the grand final. Uh, well, I, yeah, I'd forgotten that. I mean, I, I, it is always through the, the lens of me thinking it was a bit of fun. It didn't bother me. I mean, the, the, there were lots of people who were I, I was on with who did care about it more. You know, they were more competitive about the whole thing. Uh, and once I saw that, I tended to think, right, well, if you're going to take it like that, um, I'm going to have to try and win then, aren't I? But, um, you know, it's answering quiz questions is, uh, is not really that important in the, in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, uh, so I always saw it that way. You can nonetheless expect an invite to be on my team when we next have a quiz at Twickenham CC, because I'm very impressed with the fact you won, you won it in such a convincing well, manner. To, to be honest, I, I've seen some clips of it since. Uh, and there were some things that I was asked then. I don't remember. Certainly didn't. I wouldn't know the answer now. Um, really? And I don't remember knowing knowing them then. So you know, it's uh, a lot of it has faded from the uh, from the memory. I'm afraid. Hold on. We've had scandals with who wants to be who wants you know who's what's he called? Who wants to win a million? Who wants to be a millionaire? 
where the famous coughing yeah. in the crowd. Are, are we slowly but surely unpacking a bit of scandal here? That Watton doesn't know the answers to the questions that gained him this glory? No, maybe no, not. No, no, no. I knew them then, <laughs> but I've just forgotten them now. That's not the same thing. <laughs> All good. No, I've got every respect for anyone who goes on TV and answers questions like that. So, um, so um, well done. Um, one last question. Do you want to fling the last question in there, Sal? Okay, Matthew, I just want to ask you about DRS. Obviously, it's had a massive influence in the professional game, but how is it, what's the impact being in club cricket for you as an umpire and, and players itself as well? Um, so you're thinking about what the impact has been of people mm. sort of seeing DRS. Yes. Well, it has changed um, uh, umpiring to a degree, I think. Um, so, you know, we can't help but uh, uh, see what we have in terms of certainly the predictive technology. So having an understanding yeah. of balls, um, uh, having that, that enhanced based on what we used to have um, has definitely made a difference. You know, I, I think I would definitely make different decisions on occasion now, given what I know about uh, from predictive technology. Mm. Um, and Do you think umpires another... are braver, Matty? Do you think that, that, that I mean, Shane Warne yeah. always claims, doesn't he, that, that he, he would yes, have got hundreds more are. wickets? Yeah. Okay. yeah, no, I think that's that's true. I think they, um, because the uh, the technology has now shown balls which were, or in some cases weren't. I mean, I think, um, broadly speaking, what's happened is that, um, metaphorically, the stumps have got wider. Because we've uh, now got more of an understanding of what was just hitting the stump, Decisions that previously would automatically have been thought of as not out. Um, more of those might be given out now, given that the technology has shown the ball to be uh, just hitting stump. However, the issue of height has probably gone the other way. Uh, because we now have a better understanding of balls which might go over top, um, the old sort of unwritten rules about uh, you know the knee roll and that sort of thing, um, the stumps metaphorically, I think, got shorter on that basis. Um, and I think it has probably affected um, the decisions that umpires give, certainly at the uh, at the top level. And that's filtered down to, I think, the higher, certainly the higher level of recreational cricket. And I think umpires probably have got braver, partly because player expectations have changed. So they have seen the same thing. There will always be a group of players who think they are never out. Um, but I think there's, um, when, when you get to certainly the, the professional game, to the degree, uh, Premier League cricket, they're, they're they're operating on the same sorts of expectations and assumptions that the umpires are. Um, so yeah, I think that that's changed as well as um, uh, the umpires' bravery. So I think it has changed umpiring, um, and it's um, uh, you know, it's changed. It's just it's just different. I think. I mean, it, it's emphatically a, uh, a positive development within the professional game because a higher proportion of decisions are. Uh, are correct now. Um, so that has to be a good thing. Um, but yeah, there has been effect lower down as well. Interesting. That's really interesting. It, it always strikes me that umpires would 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 learn from what they see on the TV, just as just batters and bowlers do. And um, I do think batters now are are a little more aware of how they could be out. And because we all know people who are never ever out, but I think there are I think there are fewer of those about, aren't there? Well, there seem to be. People are a little bit more aware that. Um, you know, it, it isn't always going down leg. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, broadly, the higher you uh, go, uh, the more used to it um, uh, batsmen are of being given out. Um, so the more readily they tend to accept it. You certainly noticed it at um, uh, minor county and county second level. Level. You know, when they're out, um, they are expecting to be given out. Um, right. And so. There are not many players at that level who think they are uh, uh, never out because they are just used to being given. Uh, you know, they're used to umpires yeah. being uh, brave and confident enough to uh, uh, to give them out. Um, and uh, if you sort of hide behind not being sure, uh, that's actually something which the players and the coaches uh, notice quite quickly. Um, sure, it's been a on occasions, it's been a criticism of, of recreational umpires uh, in, uh, in county second level matches uh, that the professional umpire has been more confident with his uh, decisions, prepared to give players out, whereas the recreational umpire has shown more doubt. Uh, and that gets picked up on quite quickly. 
That is really interesting. That's really interesting stuff. Um, Matty, we, we, we've, been, we've been talking for now an hour here, which is further evidence that we've got plenty to talk about. Um, and, you know, I, I find many of these answers really interesting. They make you think, and they make you think that umpires, while they're clearly watching the same game, uh, they are seeing it from a different angle. And I guess you've got the best seat in the house, to be honest. You know, you, 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 know, you can see all the action close up. So I think we need to talk to umpires just a bit more uh, about their experiences um, in the game. Sal, next week we are... Another slightly different angle. Do you want to say a little bit more about who we're speaking to next week? Okay, so yeah, so next week, guys, we've got um, uh, guests coming on from low down the divisions. So it's Mike Jadinath, who's played many years of cricket in the Championship and the County League itself now. So looking forward to hearing his stories. He's played at Acton and Harrow Town, and he's got lots of experience, and I'm sure he'll be um, great listening for next week. Excellent, excellent, Matty. Once again, thanks very much for for taking the time to come and speak to us. Um, some some really interesting insights. We do appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to any feedback from any listeners on, on anything you've heard. Um, and we will, of course, be back next week. Speak to everyone again then. Cheers, fellas. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Dan. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.